Welcome back everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy, the special series EFT Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Anna Balbogadi, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified EFT therapist and hopefully soon certified EFT supervisor. Yes. And we're gonna welcome back to our show, Dr. Scott Woolley. He is one of our beloved EFT trainers. He's also our affairs specialist and uh, he's a professor at Alliant International University in San Diego and he also is one of the co-founders of Tri EFT. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we'll, if you haven't seen some of his wonderful workshops or attended those, he'll give you more information at the end. But we're gonna talk today about stage two. And we're really going to unpack it a little bit more. Um, I've sort of been on this journey where I, some things about stage two clicked into place as I'm working towards being better in my work as an EFT therapist and cleaning up within my own work the difference between stage one and stage two. And as I'm coming to supervise some EFT therapists, I'm seeing where they're coming away from some of the trainings with some similar um, ideas that aren't necessarily, I guess, on target. <laughs> or we're, they're missing the same boat that I was missing. So we're gonna talk about that and unpack it a little bit more. And this sort of came to me at our last externship uh, where Scott was talking about stage two. And, you know, I know you guys constantly upgrade your material and just something clicked into place. And I had kind of been coming up against this space where I knew I needed to go deeper. I knew there was something I was missing, I wasn't getting, and I just couldn't figure out what I couldn't figure out. And then it clicked into place, thanks to Scott. So we're gonna talk about that. One of the things that I hear supervisees talk about, and this was a mistake that I was doing when they were working on their certification tapes was, well, I'm going really deep. Is that stage two? Um, so not quite, but I also notice part of that is a lot of us, myself included, are guilty of going too deep too early or too fast. So when we were doing a stage three, we'd actually be doing, or a step three, we'd actually be doing a step five. And so we'd cover a lot of really in-depth material in stage one that we should have, or should be maybe saving till stage two. And then I was getting to stage two and saying, well, we kind of already covered this, so what, what do I do now? I, I don't, you know, and I realized I didn't quite understand when, you know, the model says restructuring the bond and we want to help deepen the bond and create secure attachment. I had sort of like a very generalized view of what that meant and I didn't quite get, you know, what bonding was about according to the model. And Sue says it several times about reaching and relying on each other for their emotional needs. And that's the part that I was missing is I thought, well, you know, you're in touch with, yes, if I want comfort, if I want a hug, if I want sex, whatever, I, I can now go to my spouse, whereas I couldn't before. But that's not quite deep enough. <laughs> I'll ask my couples now, you know, do you know what you need? to feel loved, to feel accepted, whatever correlates to their attachment need. And are you able now to turn to your spouse and seek that and see them as a solution? And a lot of my clients were saying, well, you know, whatever happens to me at work or, or something outside the relationship, it's not about my partner. So I don't need to come to them and talk to them about, but remember the safe haven, secure base. And of course, if I'm 
at work and it's really pressing on something very deep and personal about maybe who I see myself to be, maybe feeling unworthy or inadequate at work, absolutely that can trickle into the marriage. And, you know, if my partner is, a, or my spouse is a source of soothing and comfort, then I can turn back to them and say, you know, I'm really struggling with this feeling at work. Can you help me? Can you comfort me? Can you remind me that I am loved? You know, and that's that's tremendous. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I wasn't doing that before. So that was really big. And I realized before my couples used to reescalate because I wasn't doing a solid enough stage one. Now I'm finding that some of my couples are work even after we've sort of graduated are coming back and re-escalating because we haven't done a solid stage two. And you really need both parts for everything to hold and stick. Absolutely. Um, some couples will come in and their their attachment dilemmas are more obvious around like, well, if the withdrawer would engage, then I would be soft, <laughs> you know, and I would get what I need. But it's not always so black and white for some of our couples. But you know, I've noticed if they'll come back, if they don't know how to reach and bond with each other, that same place is gonna come back up. Mm -hmm. And whatever created the cycle in stage one is gonna end up taking effect again because the point is they're not bonding and that's what, what solidifies the work at the end of the day, right? After we get through the cycle work. So I also didn't really get why attachment injury repair was in stage two. I mean, I had of course been told it's not going to hold in stage one, but I didn't really connect why. I didn't really connect why we need to engage the withdrawer. Yes, I understood theoretically, well, you want the withdrawer to be engaged so the pursuer can reach and they're there. And I really didn't get a tangible sense of what that meant. So. These are just some various facets that we're going to talk about. And first, let's talk about the difference between step three and step five, because a lot of us are guilty of doing a step five in step three. Okay. Right. Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of differences. One is, is that um, step five is deeper, okay? Mm -hmm. And with step five, you're working on at least two different ways of connecting, mm -hmm. okay? One thing you're doing on a step five, it's the most intrapsychic of all the steps, mm -hmm. you are working on getting people to connect mm -hmm. with disowned aspects of self, mm -hmm. disowned attachment needs mm -hmm. and longings, mm -hmm. okay? So in step three, you're typically going for mm -hmm. primary emotions, accessing mm -hmm. those primary emotions, mm -hmm. getting them to start sharing in the tango, mm -hmm those primary emotions, mm -hmm. but in step five, we're going much deeper and we're getting people to really own their attachment needs. Yes, so let's, let's pause right there because this is important because when I heard disown aspects of self, you know, when we're learning the model, that still, it swam around in my head, but I couldn't experientially grasp onto how complex that is. And part of how I was, it clicked into place between step three and step five during our last externship was 
Um, I think Becca was working with uh, Dr. Rebecca Jorgensen, one of our other trainers. She was working with a couple and we were in stage one and some shame parts came out, some view of self as I'm inadequate, I'm unworthy. And instead of, see the, the old me before I figured this out would have gone down that rabbit hole and said, hey, that's, a, that's really important, let's, let's pull that out. And that's really a step five piece is that disowned aspect of self, part of that and the needs. Um, I would have gone and tried to work with that in, in later stage one. And what Becca did was she, she touched it, right? I see this coming up, but then she just bounced it back into the cycle and said, how does this interact? How does this play out? Instead of going right to the shame piece and working and pulling out, oh, you know, what comes up for you around this feeling, you know, that would have been a stage, a step five. And that was really significant for me. And it reminded me of something I heard from Sharon Chapcup. She's one of the trainers in Seattle. She did a training for supervisors. And she talked about when you're in stage one, you're sort of getting the lay of the land and how the people, how a lot of us will go too deep too fast. She says, you're going into your couple's private space, like you're being invited into their home. And doing a step five would be like going from the front door to their lingerie drawer, right? That's like their really important space. You need to get the tour of the rest of the house and, and have them warm up to inviting you into more of the spaces of the home before you go into the most personal and intimate part of them. And you have to have the safety that comes through de-escalation. Yes. yes. Okay, because if the couple is going to escalate mm -hmm. and you're going into the most deep intimate mm -hmm. aspects of mm -hmm. self mm -hmm. they can get really really hurt mm -hmm. yeah and sort of what i've kind of figured out and tell me scott if you feel like this is off but i sort of figured out that out of the are you know the accessibility responsiveness and engagement i feel like um well, I feel that stage one is sort of really working on establishing that emotional presence mm -hmm. so that we can tolerate hearing our partner's pain, we can tolerate our own pain. And we have to be able to build some tolerance there, even in these small fights, these escalations about the dishwasher or whatever, in order for us to go deeper in stage two and hear about some deep wounds some deep wounds that we had, some ways that we might have hurt our partner. Right. And if you can't stay present with that, you're not gonna be able to engage on a deeper level. You're not gonna be able to engage on a deeper level, that's right. And you're also gonna have a harder time accessing really wounded parts of people, mm -hmm. particularly with trauma survivors. Mm -hmm. Because one of the ways of coping with trauma is to figure out fundamentally um, as you're, for example, with child abuse, one of the ways of dealing with child abuse is to cut yourself off from that pain because you've got to go to school the next day. You've got to keep functioning, right? And mm -hmm. so you disown your feelings, your pain, the confusion that comes with child abuse, for example. And it's like detachment. You detach you from detach it. You detach from it. That's exactly right. And sometimes that kind of becomes frozen in time. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. And when you've got trauma particularly, mm -hmm. okay, but with all the people to some degree, but when you've got trauma particularly, 
you go deep and try and, and not just try, but access those pains mm -hmm. and particularly the attachment longings that are driving it, uh, the need for safety. How could my mother have done this? How could my father have done this, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How could my older brother, who I trusted, mm -hmm. have done this to me, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And, and more importantly, the need to feel loved, to feel safe, mm -hmm. to feel valued, mm -hmm. to feel precious, mm -hmm. to feel important. Yeah and to feel wanted mm -hmm. and needed and valuable. Mm -hmm. All those fundamental needs. Oftentimes, people will compartmentalize and those parts don't feel that way mm -hmm. and they don't even know they have those needs because sometimes those That's parts right. become very angry and yes. hostile and yes. there's these internal wars that happen. Yes. We deal with all of that in step five, mm -hmm. okay? Because we're, we're going deep and we're helping. Going really deep. You okay. said step five is kind of like a step three, but kind of on steroids. Yeah, yeah. Which that's is right. so helpful, you yeah. know? And, and really that's the part when we are getting them to go to the underwear drawer, right? The most yeah. intimate parts of themselves that they detached from. Mm -hmm. And you can't really get them to access that part if they can't even tolerate the emotional space at all. If they keep going away, which often activates their partner and it mm -hmm. gets them away from their own needs. And I, I like that. And I see this come up a lot with not just trauma survivors, but people that have never been brought up. I find this with like the real outdoorsy kinds of guys that were brought up as kind of the traditional masculine roles where we don't do emotions, we don't have right. needs. The John Wayne kind yeah, of. Yes. Right? And they, they believe that, oh, I don't need to, you know, have affection or be emotional or feel love. Like I feel love just because you're here and, you know. And so when you get them to start being able to tolerate that space, then you can really expand that window of tolerance, mm -hmm. right? You're getting them to a place where they have some sort of tolerance. In stage two, you're expanding that tolerance so they can go deeper with themselves. Because again, to have empathy, which is a key ingredient of being with their partner's pain, mm -hmm. right? In order to have empathy, they have to be able to feel Mm -hmm. Absolutely. If they're numb, so just connecting people to their own feelings, yes. mm -hmm. even if you're not even getting to the deeper needs. Mm -hmm. I mean, in step three, you're getting people to access, mm -hmm. and you're getting into some of those needs, and you're, mm -hmm. you know, putting them to context. But in step five, you're really getting people to be able to consistently feel and mm -hmm. own, right? Own those mm -hmm. feelings. Own mm -hmm. the deeper attachment-related mm -hmm. needs. Yes. Own the need, the fact mm -hmm. that I do need you. Mm -hmm. I do need connection yes. with you. I am not just an island, mm -hmm. you know, um, that doesn't cry on a rock mm -hmm. that feels no pain, right? Mm -hmm. um, that, and and to get to that level, there has to be a certain degree of safety, mm -hmm. which is why it's a stage mm -hmm. two process. Yes, and. Um, you know, what's really important in there, you know, I like how, you know, in step three, I think part of what would kind of throw a wrench in the plan is just that sometimes you will get couples to engage and be more present with emotions that they were never present with. And so mm -hmm. we can sort of mistake that as, oh, now, now we're going real deep, 
because anything away from numbness and detachment is deeper. Right. And so again, we might take that ball and run with it and we may run too far in stage one and again, it can fall apart. And now this doesn't mean that folks don't have like, they don't ever escalate in stage two, especially when it comes they do, to their own when you, pain. Yes, right. when you touch that, when you touch that Deep pain. Deep vulnerability. Oftentimes, yes, it gets scary, and people will escalate as a way of protecting themselves against yes. those feelings. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, sometimes the other person escalates mm -hmm. simply because in seeing mm -hmm. this kind of pain that's underneath, mm -hmm. oftentimes for the other person, it's like a total like, yes. I thought he didn't really care yeah. and really deep have down feelings. inside he does care mm -hmm. and he has needs too or she mm -hmm. has these needs too etc right? yeah yeah and that brings yeah that's thank you so much because that circles me back to where i was going <laughs> before with the you know in order to have empathy for our partner remember empathy is is allowing us to sort of be a, a resonant chamber right the mm -hmm. memory of that pain of that has had a pain like that we allow it to echo through us to be with our partner. And if we cannot feel, we cannot resonate their pain. If we can't be with our pain, we can't be with their pain. It's just impossible. And I've found many clients, you know, in stage two where when we get to deeper, now that we can tolerate a little bit more, we know our reactive moves in the cycle. Now we're getting to some deeper layers where we're starting to touch some really vulnerable stuff and I find a lot of clients will escalate and go away, right? It gets very terrifying for them to recognize, I actually need you and I'm terrified of needing you. So when that fear comes up, I move into anger and I just try to push you away because it's so terrifying. Right, right. And which is one of the reasons we want to hold them right. in those deeper vulnerable emotions. Yes. And then we want to have them have the experience mm -hmm. of turning them to their um, partner. Over to their partner and sharing right, them. Right, right. Because we want them to see their partner as a solution, right? Their partner doesn't have to be the problem in order to be a solution. And I think that's part of what EFT really tries to stress for stage two is that, you know, yes, maybe in stage one uh, in the reactive cycle, the partner may be part of reinforcing a problem, yeah. but they may not be the root cause. And now we're getting to some really deep stuff and we want the partner to be seen as a solution. If I get triggered, something inside of me, my attachment wounds, my attachment needs get triggered outside of the relationship, I wanna be able to bring it back to my partner and say, can you help me with this feeling? Can I'm struggling to feel loved and valuable, even though you might not have caused that, but can you right. help me with this feeling, right? right? That's the safe haven. The storm was out here, but I'm going to my safe haven right. and I'm finding refuge. I'm getting comfort. And guess, what's, guess what that's gonna do for the relationship, right? right? If I see you as my source for soothing and comfort and I know I can go to you, then our relationship is gonna get really strong right really tight as, as the younger kids would like to call it right 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 rather than turning to numbing out mm -hmm. or to alcohol or to porn mm -hmm. or to drugs or to all sorts of gambling all sorts mm -hmm. of other kinds of ways mm -hmm. of kind of distancing mm -hmm. ourselves from our 
pain, yes, right, mm-hmm. and getting excitement. Mm-hmm. We're working on getting people to recognize what their real needs mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. and turn to their partner yeah. for those needs. And this is where I think stage two can really take some deep time is because depending on, you know, if there's trauma involved, particularly with trauma clients, I found that stage two, you're really, now that you're getting to the deeper stuff, that's when you're really applying this expanding the window of tolerance because you want them to be able to stay in those depths to stay there long enough to identify what they need and to own it. And some of the language I've used with my clients will be, you know, to own, you know, because they get caught in judgment. It's, I'm needy, I'm ridiculous that I need this, I shouldn't need that. And I help them to own that need and, and just honor it. I say, when you move away from it, how does that need get met? And they're like, oh, well, it doesn't, ah. So let's honor that place because it's so important, right? To help see yourself first, right? See me as a person who has needs and is worthy of having those needs. Mm -hmm. And then I can even look at my partner and say, they can see me as a person with needs and I don't feel judgment and I can go to them and be open and honest about it. And I can own that need to them, Right. right? Oh, no, exactly. And, and it's, it's almost like saying, gosh, I feel so bad that I, I need food, that, um, mm-hmm. that I have the need for food and oxygen. I shouldn't do that. If I were really, really strong, mm-hmm. I wouldn't need food. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't need oxygen. I wouldn't need water. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course, people don't think about it that way, That's right. right? People don't think about it that way at all. I do a lot of validating and say, well, okay, so if you feel more needy, that's because you've been starving. Mm-hmm. You've been starving for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. And now what's happening is, is that you do need, mm-hmm. um, and it's not always gonna be this way, mm-hmm. okay? That's right. When, when you get enough food and oxygen and water, then you're not gonna feel so needy. Mm-hmm. You're gonna end up feeling full at some mm-hmm. point. Yeah. And but that doesn't mean that you won't need ongoing because we all do. That's right. And I've found some along those lines. Some clients will say that you know they sort of find the idea of needing other, needing their partner as a threat to independence. Right. Somehow that means I can't do it on my own. And just the opposite. I do kind of drop this little psycho ed piece in every now and then, but about the the impact that having, it's not that you can't do this, right? But we weren't designed to do it because of the impact, the stress, the hor- the stress hormones that get dumped into our system when we attempt to do these things on our own and how having the presence and resource of our loved one, of that mm-hmm. secure other helps physiologically, neurologically lighten the stress load, right? Doesn't mean we're burdening them. Just even having their presence has scientifically, they've proven it helps people regulate their, those emotions, those stress hormones don't get dumped Mm -hmm. as heavy as hard. Mm -hmm. So even for your own health and your own sanity, it's good to have like a wingman, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is good to have a wingman. And you know, it's not that we can't self-soothe, mm-hmm. okay? We do, everyone needs to be able to do that, but it does require a lot more brain resources mm-hmm. than safe relational soothing. Mm-hmm. And even with self-soothing, 
we the most powerful forms of self-soothing involved at least in our minds mm -hmm. our attachment figures mm -hmm. one of the most powerful ways I mean kind of people on the battlefield mm -hmm. oftentimes when they're shot they think about their mother mm -hmm. they call out to their mother mm -hmm. okay that's relational suit or mm -hmm. they call out to their mm -hmm. partners right yes. to their loved ones mm -hmm. Um, it is in our minds, even if we can't physically go to them, mm -hmm. um, the most powerful way for us soothing is to imagine a safe attachment figure. Yes, and attachment theory calls this the internal working model of self and other. So part of what increases that resiliency is that internal working model of um, you know, now that we're, we're creating that secure base, that safe haven secure base in the relationship, now I see my partner as a resource of comfort, of soothing. I know I can go to them. I know that I'm loved and I feel secure in that. And obviously our partner cannot be by our side 24 hours a day. So again, this is where people worry about that threat to independence. Well, I don't want to be so reliant on you that I need you all the time. And, and it's, it's not about that. It's not that about that at all. That's right. It's it's in fact it's just the opposite. Right. Okay? Because what ends up happening, going back to the food metaphor, mm -hmm. okay, um, the more if you have a healthy diet, you can actually go longer without food, mm -hmm. okay, than you can mm -hmm. if you are emaciated and starving. Right. Okay. So if you have safe attachment mm -hmm. In times of need. Mm -hmm. Like a protein diet versus a junk food diet. Exactly. In times mm -hmm. of need, when you get separated from loved mm -hmm. ones, you actually have more reserve. Right. Okay. And that's true on lots and lots of levels, including even when a partner dies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. People, when a partner dies, if the relationship has been very close, mm -hmm. the recovery is. And, and being able to, yes. uh, recovery is probably the wrong word, but being able to the resiliency th to go forward to and cope. live life and cope mm -hmm. and um, thrive yes. again mm -hmm. is much, much better mm -hmm. when there has been a good relationship. Yes, yes. Because the person isn't fully gone. Right. Okay. And There's you're building them as that internal working model. So even when you're away from them, you can access that memory of, I know that I'm loved, I feel more worthy and capable as a human being, so when the dragons face me in the outside world, I don't feel as intimidated by them. I feel more capable and able in my own skin to fight these battles because I have this memory, this internal working model. And there's actually a really good movie about this. If you haven't seen it, it's called Adrift. And it's a, it's a true story about a couple that was sailing around the world and they were in a hurricane and the husband dies. Sorry, spoiler alert. But you gotta, you gotta see this. And if you know the story, the real story, you know, you already know, so. Um, but you don't know that he's died until the end because she's, the whole movie, she's accessing the memory of him as a secure base safe haven to get her through being adrift at sea for like some 29 or 30 days, right? Yeah. So it's really, it's really an incredible survival story. So. You know, the closer we are mm -hmm. to others, the more independent we can be. Right. Okay. Right. The problem for people who look very dependent, the problem is not that they're too dependent. Mm -hmm. 
The problem is, is their dependence is not effective. It's very ineffective, right. so they don't feel secure. That's right. Which enable, the, which mm -hmm. makes it very hard for them to be independent. Right. Which makes them look needy. And this is part of the pursuer softening, I think, is, you know, pursuers are much more vocal about, I need you, but often what we find is when they have that contact, they're not soothed fully by it to where it's lasting and satiating them. And being a former anxious pursuer, <laughs> surprise, um, I understand that feeling, right? It, that sense that I don't know how to trust that my repair with my partner really held, that when they say that they love me, they really do, that, that everything's okay in the back of my mind, I start thinking, yeah, they're just saying that, but secretly they're still harboring these feelings or whatever. That's not secure attachment, right? And this is often what I've seen come up with my anxious pursuers. And so that's when we get to the pursuer softening is what we'll work on. In stage two, you're working to those blocks. You know, what blocks the path of bonding, of reaching to your partner, of accessing them as, um, for, as a resource for your emotional needs? What blocks you from even identifying that you have needs and, and reaching for those? And it, view of self, view of other, and you know, so you'll get into those deep parts. Where did this part come from that said, I don't know how to trust that when you tell me everything's okay, that it really is okay, and I don't have to obsess and stew over it and, and cling, right? Because that, that clinging is about, I just don't know how to feel safe, and, and that's not healthy dependency. We're, we don't want codependency, we want healthy interdependency as Sue talks about. So that's what we're really working on. And we're helping each other to identify needs that they never knew that they had. Mm -hmm. You know, when you like step five, I love, you know, you did a beautiful job of this in one of your training videos. You know, this, the, the grumpy old man, mm -hmm. you know, when he goes to this place, right? When you're in this place, what would you need to feel loved? Whoa. Right. Right. What is this part that you actually hate because mm -hmm. he acts out with an addiction? Mm -hmm. What does he really need deep down inside? Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of times what happens, particularly with addiction, mm -hmm. is, is people will split and it's like part of them wants to use mm -hmm. and then a part of them doesn't. And the mm -hmm. part that doesn't want to use hates the part that does want to use. The shame spiral. Exactly. You're the bad part of me. I need mm -hmm. to destroy you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, usually that goes back to traumas in, the, in your childhood when right. you perceived somebody trying to right. destroy you. And that part of and you that's using is coping with the other part of you that's saying I need right. to destroy you because yep. it needs something. Exactly. And so what are the needs of the grumpy old man? Yeah. What are the needs of the part of you that just wants mm -hmm. to drink and mm -hmm. satiate yourself in alcohol? Right. What are the deeper needs? The needs mm -hmm. for love, mm -hmm. the needs to be caring, mm -hmm. the need yeah. to feel precious, mm -hmm. the need to feel important. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the other person hates that part. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. And what we're doing in step five really is we're getting people 
to integrate mm -hmm. intrapsychically right. and create connections intrapsychically, right. particularly at the attachment level. And by integrate, you mean we don't want to banish these separate parts where they're split. We want them to merge and be coherent and together as one person. Which means the different parts have got to be able to see and respect the wisdom mm -hmm. of both of them, mm -hmm. as well as the needs, mm -hmm. including the needs, the deeper needs of the parts that are acting out. Mm -hmm. Okay, the parts that are acting out, which the other parts usually hate, mm -hmm. okay, because I get them in trouble. Yes. Okay, the parts that are acting out, what are the real needs? Mm -hmm. Getting down to the attachment needs mm -hmm. there, and they are attachment needs. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And starting to acknowledge those, mm -hmm. it's like almost like a step five and step six intrapsychically. Yes. Yeah. Is very powerful, very helpful, and then getting people to then turn. So you're creating connections mm -hmm. inside intrapsychically, and then you're getting people to turn to their partner mm -hmm. and connect with their partner. Mm -hmm. So you're creating connections interpersonally. Right. You're doing both. Right. And a lot of these folks that I found that don't need anyone, not only are they not going real deep with their partner, but they also don't have a lot of deep friendships. And they're very socially isolated, even mm -hmm. though they may be around a lot of people in a superficial way. Yeah. And the, they, they, the only way they know how to be safe mm -hmm. is to be by themselves yes. or to cut off a part of yes. themselves. They, I, you know, Again, they can be a yes. salesman. They can do right. all sorts of different things. Right. They can be extroverted. They can be introverted. But it's cutting off their deeper needs, right. their longings, their and vulnerabilities. And I find that in problem. there, there's a lot of the people that think I don't need others, I don't need. It's that, you know, it's better to, I call it the reverse life insurance policy. It's better to not need it if you can't have it than to need it and not have it. That's right. what they think. <laughs> yes. That's the, what they think. And the it's reverse a problem. life insurance policy, right? <laughs> because that rejection, that abandonment is too painful. And I love how you'd said before in other trainings that being alone is not a need, right? Again, we're not wired that way, but it is a coping strategy. Right. It's a um, way to downregulate yes. and it's a way to yes. feel safe. It's a strategy. Yes. And, and we all at times may use getting a, being alone as a way of down-regulating, mm -hmm. it's a strategy. It's like mm -hmm. exercise. Exercise mm -hmm. can be very helpful, mm -hmm. right? Um, but being alone... If you use it constantly as a way to avoid other, not as maybe I'm at work and I'm going to that place, but I'm accessing my mm -hmm. working model of other, that's different. And mm -hmm. I actually have um, addicted couple um, where there's sex addiction in the picture and the partner, the non-addicted partner, can sense when her, when the spouse turns away, whether it's to exercise or porn, or sh she can feel the difference between you're turning out to self-soothe versus you're just going out to exercise or for hobby, which is right. really interesting. Well, because mm -hmm. the other partners, yes, probably starting to numb out. Right, and what I find that a lot of people don't realize is that. You know, because again, in EFT, we talk about how emotion impacts behavior. Even the avoidance of emotion impacts behavior. There's something on the, ins on the outside that people see that is the way that they go away from. But, so mm -hmm. I want to come back to, um, so back into stage two. So we're, we're working on um, 
accessing those deeper parts of self, the, the needs. And if you're doing a really good solid stage one, step four, you're gonna already have an idea of what those underlying attachment needs, the unmet attachment needs are, and you're gonna be able to access those and work with those more deeply in this mm -hmm. part, which is beautiful. But I also figured out part of why attachment injury repair is stage two, right? Because again, if I cannot tolerate my pain, if I can't empathize with my partner, if I can't engage more deeply, then I'm not gonna be at the level that's deep enough that's required to help heal these wounds, right? Because when we talk about affairs or whatever, attach whatever attachment injury is, we have to be able to engage with the deeper part of ourself and not blame it on, oh, this person just came on to me, right? Well, something inside of you did not put that wall up, right? But they have to engage with maybe what was I missing, what was I needing, that, that I was in that space that I didn't connect to. But I also have to, and I have to own that part, but I also have to be able to sit with my partner's pain and not get hijacked into deep shame and go away, right? And you said some very, very beautiful things about two ingredients about affairs, which I think really is helpful for any kind of attachment injury is to have a clear narrative as to why this happened. Yeah. And you can't get this in stage one because knowing the behavior and stopping the behavior is not enough. That's the wrong level, right? And this is often, if this is a withdrawer who stepped out, the pursuer mm -hmm. wants to know the emotional inner workings that, that drove their partner to make this decision. And if they cannot engage, if the withdrawer is not engaged, they're not gonna be able to own their emotional inner workings that put them in that space. And that's what they really need to know. Because if I don't know what emotionally got you there, how do I know that it's never gonna happen again? And how will you know? Because you didn't identify that, that space. Right. So, so let me just back up a little bit, okay? Because attachment injury repair usually kind of starts in stage one, mm -hmm. particularly as the, not always, but usually, as the injured partner begins mm -hmm. to process mm -hmm. the injury, the pain of the injury, mm -hmm. and we help them connect it to the attachment mm -hmm. needs, longings, and the, and the relationship, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about, though, is in stage two, um, and you're you're dead on right. You know it it has to to really get the repair to happen. You have mm -hmm. to be able to do the deeper stage two work, mm -hmm. and part of that does involve mm -hmm. understanding why it happened. Mm -hmm. Now, not all injuries is that the case for. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, there's there's injuries that come because of the perception mm -hmm. of of that. Um, you know, there's misunderstandings that right. cause in injuries, etc. Right. But when you look at behaviors such as affairs, mm -hmm. okay, such as you know major violations, boundary violations. boundary violations, you know, a gambling, those kinds of things that mm -hmm. can cause major attachment injuries, mm -hmm. you do have to have some assurance that it's not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, you can do all the empathizing in the world, but if you don't have the assurance that is going to, you know, if your partner has deep remorse that you are hurt, that helps, okay? But if your partner doesn't know why he or she did it, mm -hmm. if your partner doesn't know, have any idea 
why it's not going to happen again. Mm -hmm. If there's no kind of coherent plan in place, mm -hmm. it's very hard to let go and really forgive. Mm -hmm. It's hard to risk being right. close again. Right. Okay. It's hard to be able to trust the person comes right. close to you because the person may go out and have another affair. Right. And part of that healing in stage two is being able to take that risk, right? Being able to let trust in, which you're not going to be able to do in stage one, right? That's right. In stage one, you're putting, you, you're putting the attachment injury, if that's why they came to therapy, into the cycle, right? right. And I love how Lori Brubaker says, might say something like, we're going to track how you guys get stuck not being able to repair this at home. And then you build that groundwork so you can have some, I, I get why they call it scaffolding now. You have that solid frame that now you can build the layers on and it's got something to stand on so that when you get there, it doesn't crumble and fall beneath you. And, you know, part of the step six is to see and accept, right, is if I, if my partner's inner world is a huge mystery to me, it's going to be hard for me to see and accept where they were at in that place and what was happening for them. And it's also going to be harder for me to trust if I don't feel my partner is opening up and sharing their internal working functions, right? What's going on inside of them. Um, it's going to still feel like a mystery. And that's part of why it gets so scary to take that risk is if my partner's inner world is a mystery to me, how do I really know it's not going to happen again? But if my partner is engaging and coming to me and sharing, oh, I'm feeling inadequate, you know, or whatever, they're getting to those inner self and they're sharing it, it's not going to feel so mysterious or scary. Right. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And to do that, the partner mm -hmm. who's had the affair and this, mm -hmm. what we're talking about now, also has to have an understanding of what his or her needs are yes. and what led them to the affair. That's right. When partners, and, and yes, at a fundamental level mm -hmm. in all affairs, the person who had the affair didn't turn to their, to their primary partner mm -hmm. for love and connection. They didn't do that, right? But the question is, a lot of it is what were the deeper needs that they weren't reaching mm -hmm. to their partner for? Mm -hmm. yeah. And did they have even any awareness of them? I, I remember working with one man who had had, I don't know, many affairs, mm -hmm. okay? And he said, and asking about why he did, he said, I guess I'm just selfish. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess I'm, I, you know, I guess I'm just selfish. You know, I knew it was wrong and I did it anyway. Mm -hmm. well, really what's get, the problem with that? Yeah, that doesn't what's really the get that? to the okay, deeper so part. We'll, what about what happens next time you're selfish? It doesn't get to the deeper part, mm -hmm. his deeper needs that he's not reaching to his wife mm -hmm. for in this case. And I find that kind of response when they hear their partner say, oh, I was just selfish, that doesn't land on the other partner as soothing. They're like, okay, exactly what you said. So what happens next I'm just next a bad time? guy. Yeah. You know, okay. That so just next time you're things. selfish, you're going to do this, Or right? I'm a bad guy. I mean, yeah. you know, that's not, that that's isn't. Right. When people can go down and say, I was in immense pain, mm -hmm. I numbed myself out, mm -hmm. I didn't even know how to feel the pain, I certainly didn't know how to reach out to you. Instead, the numbness got intolerable. Mm -hmm. Doing the forbidden mm -hmm. at least gave me a break from it. Mm -hmm. And I had to cut myself off from yeah. my love for you to do right. it. I had to cut myself, split myself mm -hmm. into parts 
in order to have both right. the excitement and even shame mm -hmm. that comes from having the affair yes. so that I don't have to feel the pain and, mm -hmm. and numbness that I am dying from. Right. Okay. That's a much more detailed mm -hmm. understanding. And then when people can say, instead of numbing out, I'm working on gaining an understanding of what I really need. Mm -hmm. Do I need to feel love? Do I need to feel um, I'm hurting? I'm feeling like I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. And then turning to my partner mm -hmm. and saying, it's coming again, you know, those demons from my past are coming. I feel like I'm not enough. I'm, right. I'm terrified I'm gonna, f I'm gonna fail. Mm -hmm. Can you come and hold me? Mm -hmm. Can you come and be with me? Right. That mm -hmm. is the antidote. Mm -hmm. That is what mm -hmm. helps prevent the yes. next affair, right? Because right? they're owning the part of themselves that had a need that was in pain, which they can't get to in stage one. It's right. just, you just can't they get can't there. get to it. Yep. And often still in early stage two, before you get to this part, they'll be part of the, the disowning or detaching is blaming their partner, blaming the other person for, you know, well, you weren't there for me, or you yelled at me too much, or you did this, or you did that, right? It's focusing on other behavior rather than our own and owning what was happening for us, which is a huge part of stage two. Yeah. Whether, you know, first it starts with the withdrawer, because again, the pursuer now, they're usually pretty in touch, but they're we want them to risk as well and be able to own their own needs instead of, again, looking at the withdrawer and saying, well, if you would just be there for me, I find this a lot with the pursuers, if you would just come ask me and, and then I don't have to like actually say that I need you. It takes all the vulnerability and the risk out. If you would just come to me and know that, you know, read my mind and know that I need something. Right. So, you know, we want them to focus on their own feelings, their own needs, rather than focus on their partner. And you know, before we wrap up, I want to talk about step six, because you said something that was really important about seeing and accepting that I thought was really good, because I do find that sometimes, you mentioned like, you know, obviously if they're having a need, you don't want them to wait till their partner's running out the door and then try, oh, but by the way, I really need you right now. And then it feels like an injury because they just abandoned you. So can you tell us a little bit more about that part of the see and accept? Right, okay, so, so in many ways, in stage two in general, mm -hmm. You, yes, we usually talk about step six mm -hmm. as the other partner sees and accepts what was just owned and shared, mm -hmm. right? So in step mm -hmm. five, one partner owns and shares. Mm -hmm. In step six, the other person sees and, and um, accepts. Step seven, then uh, the pursuer typically is going to ask for their needs to be met and the other person responds. In order to ask for your needs to be met, you do have to see and accept the other person. Mm -hmm. You have to see where the other person is. Right. So if somebody is feeling deeply lonely or insecure and or is struggling with, you know, their something in their life, okay? Mm -hmm. Asking their partner for comfort and for some processing time to be heard mm -hmm. right as their partner is leaving mm -hmm the house to go off to a mm -hmm. critically important board meeting they're running. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course, doesn't work. So you're you really have to, talking about attunement. 
I'm talking about attunement. That's exactly right. You have to attune not only to your own needs, mm -hmm. but you have to attune to the needs of your partner. If, mm -hmm. In step seven, mm -hmm. if you're going to be able to ask for your needs to be met, you've got to mm -hmm. be able to see where mm -hmm. your partner is. Right. Right? In general, and this mm -hmm. is just, you know, in general, that mm -hmm. has to happen. Right. But it doesn't mean that if we see that our partner isn't maybe available at that second that we just put it away and never come back to hey, it. Hey, after you get home tonight, mm -hmm. after we're both home, I wonder could we have some connection time, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then tuning in mm -hmm. and seeing where the other person, sometimes mm -hmm. just asking where the other, are mm -hmm. you in a place where we can go deep, mm -hmm. okay? Yeah. <laughs> I've got a, a couple that will use mm -hmm. that language. Yeah. Are you in a place where we can go deep? Mm -hmm. That's okay. beautiful. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is because you're checking out where the other mm -hmm. person is. Yeah. And they've got enough kind of love mm -hmm. and security in their relationship. If the other person says, I am fried, I mean, if this is a real emergency, I'm sure I can pull it together, but there's not left, much of me left. The other person doesn't get hurt because it's mm -hmm. like, oh, it, I, it's not an emergency, it's, mm -hmm. it can wait. Mm -hmm. Let's plan on tomorrow night. Okay, that's great. Let's mm -hmm. plan on tomorrow night. That'll work. Yeah. Okay. People do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now sometimes it's just, can you give me a, just can you give me a brief? I know mm -hmm. you're walking out the door. Can you just give me a hug? Mm -hmm. I yeah. just need a hug and to know that you love me. Tell me you love me. Mm -hmm. And a hug and love is all that is needed. Mm -hmm. And then people are able to move on. But one of the most important things we're working for mm -hmm. is that not only attunement, mm -hmm. but also asking for their needs to be met. And it right. requires both. Right. Okay. Right. And one of, the ha one of the things that happens is when we're really anxious, mm -hmm. it's hard to see the other person. Yes. Okay. Our yes. own needs kind of get in the way. Right. And then we have a hard time seeing where the other person is. And it's easy to be intrusive. It's mm -hmm. easy to not attune. Right. And then our asks don't work. Right. Right. So, okay. This has been beautiful, Scott. Thank Good. you so much. And this has been a great journey for me. You know, if you're learning EFT, some of the things that you knew before will kind of deepen and click into place in a deeper, more profound way. This is very common as you get to, you know, deeper stages of your own work as a therapist and understanding the model and integrating it. So I really just appreciate all of your guys' feedback, all the training that's out there. And so Scott, tell everyone where they can find you if they want to attend your workshops or read some of your publications. Well, they can certainly Google me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, Scott R. Woolley. I use R a lot in there. Woolley, two O's, two L's. Um, but tryeft.org is mm -hmm. probably the best one because it lists mm -hmm. all of our, all the workshops, most of the workshops I do. Mm -hmm. Not in, in foreign countries, it doesn't mm -hmm. list all the ones that I'm doing in right. other parts of the world. But, um, but TRI, which is, stands for the Training and Research Institute for EFT, so it's mm -hmm. TRIEFT.org, mm -hmm. and that's affiliated with Alliance International University, and it is, um, you can find lots of trainings there, mm -hmm. particularly in the Western United States, and we do end up doing some in other countries. Mm -hmm. That, that TriFT um, sponsors, and then um, we also do ones that other organizations are sponsoring in other right. parts of the world. And do you so. have a personal website? Dr. Scott Woolley. .com. 
dot com dot org dot com probably well and I'll look it up and I'll make sure that I put it in the description for this video on YouTube and guys thank you so much for staying tuned there are more videos that are coming including a, a special edition video that is going to be released so make sure you check that out if you haven't mm -hmm. and check out weheartherapy.com if you want more resources and more information and icef.com make sure that you check them out for more information on training thank you again guys make sure that you stay tuned because more episodes are on the way yeah.